Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Namo Sadanto Suche Doye Ulahudi San Miao San Putoshi Wu Shang Shen Shen Wei Miao Hua by Chien Wan Jin Jin Jian Wan De Shou Chi Yuan Jie Rulai Jan Shi Yi, the unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma, in a hundred thousand million eons, is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I vow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master, Dharma friends, uh, welcome to our Sutra lecture. It's now March 19th. We're here in Berkeley, California, and we're looking into the Flower Adornment Sutra. And we begin our lecture usually by an invocation, and we uh, invoke the presence of the, the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas, the Flower Adornment Assembly. And you can join me if you'd like to. It's right here on the front cover of your text, and you're going to want one of these. Uh, we do it in Chinese. It's, it's down there on the, uh, the bottom of the front cover. You can follow the romanization if you like. And this is a formal and traditional way to, to begin our lecture. Namo Dafang Dang Fu
We're going to be finishing at 9 tonight. Usually we finish at 9.30, but uh, tomorrow is the big Guanyin Bodhisattva observance at City of 10,000 Buddhas, and we have to uh, get up very early and drive very far through a big winter storm tomorrow, so we're going to uh, get a head start tonight. So we'll go until 9 o'clock. 今天晚上到九点结束了。啊,到九点。Okay? So tell anybody who's hanging out in the back if they want to get the stories and the songs, come in early or they're going to miss them. Okay, please turn to page 20 and 21 in your sutra. We're starting right up at the very top of page 20. <coughs> Because of tomorrow's event, there's a lot of folks who have already gone up today, so probably be a little smaller group tonight. But we welcome the people who are joining us online from wherever you might be. Okay, we'll read the Chinese first. Fozi Shi Bu Shan Ye Dao Nang Sheng Si Dang. Wuliang 爱要安住。爱要安住。自助其中。自助其中。一劝他人。一劝他人。领住其中。Okay, over to the right, please, page 21. Let's, uh, I'll give you a line, you read it back. Disciples of the Buddha. The Ten Unwholesome Karmic Paths. Can bring forth the multitude of great masses of suffering as limitless and boundless as these. Therefore, the Bodhisattva makes the following reflection I should leave the ten unwholesome karmic paths far behind. I should consider the ten wholesome paths as a garden of Dharma and delight in dwelling in them. I myself should dwell within them and I should encourage other people to dwell within them too. Okay. This is a summary summary sentence of something we've been looking at now for several months. Um, this is a, a very large Buddhist scripture, a large sutra, big, physically big, long. And we're looking at a chapter that is uh, more than halfway, halfway through it. And it's called the Ten Grounds chapter. And the Ten Grounds chapter 
talks about the bodhisattva. Bodhisattvas are awakened beings, and this, this chapter talks about awakened beings in detail. We're on number two out of ten. So we've only begun. This particular ground or stage, the, the word for ground could also be read stage, if you think of it as a kind of a step on a ladder, a stage going up, a riser, the ten risers chapter could be also. So on the second stage, the bodhisattva here has learned about ethics. Ethics means ways to live. How to get where you want to go. So this is very strongly an ethical text, but it's not ethics with a finger in your face. You had better or else. Not that at all. It's guidelines. It's good advice. The Buddha is saying, do this, this happens. Do that, that happens. If you want to do what I did, if you want to imitate my success in ending suffering, then these are your choices. And then he says, in the best Kung Fu style, Choose wisely, grasshopper. Not. He doesn't say that. He says, bodhisattvas who want to be skillful in their practice of the bodhisattva path will do these things. Okay, people who are new to the monastery should know that we have a simultaneous Vietnamese translation happening in the balcony. So that's the voice you're hearing. So don't think that somebody's being rude. In fact, they're... Uh, opening a door so that uh, many folks who otherwise would not be able to understand my English are able to take part. So we have two languages going, which is terrific. We used to have three, but I stopped doing the Chinese-English alternating, which uh, allowed the thoughts to progress in a more linear fashion. So that's what you're hearing. And we're on the, the summary of the ten good and the ten evil paths. And here's how it goes. The, uh, the speaker of this text, who interestingly enough is not the Buddha, the Buddha gave the job to a bodhisattva, to an awakened being, and said, you lecture on my behalf, you explain it. And he went through what are called the ten evil deeds. Evil, probably not as good a translation as unskillful, the ten unwise things to do which will cause you to fail. You won't succeed if you do these things, said the Buddha, and here's why, he said. Then the Buddha said, do these things instead, and you will surely succeed. So he gave a brand X and the the good, the New economy, the giant economy size. The one that we want and the one that we don't want. He modeled them very concretely. He said, do this, three things with your body, and trouble will happen. Killing, stealing, and selfish misuse of sexuality will cause obstacles to appear, and you won't succeed. Then he said... Four things with your mouth will do the same, create the same problem. Lying, 
gossiping or schism-making with your mouth, harsh speech and profanity, and frivolous, licentious speech. These four ways of talking are unskillful, said the Buddha. You're free to do it if you want, but it's going to take you somewhere you won't want to be if you decide you want to get free from suffering, said the Buddha. Then he said three things with the mind, greed, anger, and what were called wrong views, delusion, will take you away from the Tao. Not that the Tao goes anywhere, but you obstruct your experience, your contact with the Tao in your own life if you greed, rage, and delude yourself. So there it was. Those are the ethical dimensions that the Buddha outlined. Body, mouth, and mind. Three things, he said. And we just finished the section where the Buddha backed up what he said. He um, gave his own proof very, again, very concretely. He said, if you behave unwisely with body, mouth, and mind, this is what happens. You kill a lot, he said. In serious cases, you can lose your human body. If you come back as a person, what happens? Your lifestyle is impacted, to say the least. You will notice results from killing a lot, such as what, said the Buddha. He said, short life, much illness. go, wow, that's not ambiguous, is it? That's very clear, said the Buddha. We, as we interpreted it, we flipped it over and said, should you not only take the Buddha's advice and avoid killing, what if you foster life? What if you cherish life and do things that enhance people's well-being in their physical bodies? What happens? Instead of short life, long life, instead of much illness, good health. So there's a a yang side to the yin that the Buddha is describing. So as he described killing, so too did he go through stealing, lust, and the other seven evil deeds, saying, do these, he said, these things will happen. To say that your lifestyle is impacted is an understatement, right? If you You don't have a life if you kill a lot. So those are what we've just finished. We just did delusion last week. We just got to that, that part. Okay, we're now on page 20 and 21, the Buddha's summarizing. He says, disciples of the Buddha, the ten unwholesome karmic paths can bring forth a multitude of great masses of suffering as limitless and boundless as these. Therefore, the Bodhisattva makes the following reflection. I should leave the ten unwholesome karmic paths far behind. I should consider the ten unwholesome paths as a garden of dharma and dwell uh, and delight in dwelling in them. I myself should do it, and I should encourage other people to dwell within those two, says, says the Bodhisattva who's speaking for the Buddha. Okay, summary, right? He says... Given what I've just told you about the unskillful ways to behave with body, mouth, and mind, um, you decide, says the Buddha. 
there's a lot of suffering involved when you do these ten things. Now, these, the ten that the Buddha picked out keep appearing in sacred texts around the world. If you look at one of the, certainly the backbones of the Hebrew scriptures, known as the Torah, for example, which is also found in the Holy Bible of Catholics and Protestants, Christians, the Ten Commandments actually mirrors one, two, and th- one, two, three, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the ten unwholesome karmic paths. Same. The first four are the same. If you, I said seven because four of those had to do with the mouth. They'd all be called false speech. So what do we got? They are, thou shalt not kill, steal, covet thy neighbor's spouse, and lie, bear false witness. You find four out of ten, or you could say seven out of ten, if you take four evils of the mouth as one, false witness. There you go. So here are, here's the backbone of Christianity, Ten Commandments, which is also found in Islam, which is also found in the Hindu scriptures, the Vedas, the Upanishads, all talk about those four things. They say, a wise, good, wholesome person, if you ever ask yourself the question, how should I live? What's the best way to be a person? What should I do? You get the answer, avoid those things. And you're, you're better off, as they say in Brooklyn. You're better off if you don't do those things. So, there you go. How interesting that sacred scriptures, the world around, all agree. Here's the Buddha who woke up, looked into his nature and said, I would love you all to follow me and to get free. Here's the way you go wrong worst. This is the easiest way to go wrong. So our Bodhisattva is mirroring that. He's saying, go wrong in those ways and you will hurt. You'll hurt a lot if you kill, steal, lust, lie, and there are four kinds of lies, that means mouth karma, and then greed, anger, and delusion. Brings forth multitudes of great masses of suffering, limitless and boundless. That's pretty strong language. Right? It's not kind of, kind of lukewarm. Multitudes of suffering. Lots of pain, he says. Hurts. Okay. Then he goes on to say, the Bodhisattva does what? The sutra says, here's the Bodhisattva. It, it, it takes us into the Bodhisattva's mind. That's one of the nice things about this text is it um, explains the psychology of a Bodhisattva. It's very, you could say, modern language. It's not philosophy. It's not obscure. It says, here's what the Bodhisattva thinks. Really Clear, transparent. The Bodhisattva says what? He thinks. What does the Bodhisattva think? The Bodhisattva thinks, I should leave those ten evil deeds far behind. I shouldn't do those, he says, or she says. Furthermore, 
the good deeds, which are the opposite of the ten evils, the good deeds should be a garden of dharma. I should look at those as a garden of dharma, meaning, what's a garden like? Garden's a nice place to be. You want to put your body in the garden. If you have a nice garden, nice place to be, you go out, you're around the flowers, the fruits. Michael, do me a favor, turn that box off. That's blinking and Gardens are nice places. Gardens are where birds go, bees go. Uh, the, you find shade there. You find light there. You find growing fruit there. It's fragrant. Nice place to be in a garden. If, you have, if you're a gardener, you know what it's like. Even if you live in a condominium, you probably have a balcony where you get some potted plants. You go out there and talk to the potted plants. and They are trading your... They're trading your carbon for you. Um, we live very happily among plants. If you have ever had the opportunity to live in the forest for any period of time, your, your cells remember. There's, um, we have a beautiful cabin down in the Santa Cruz Redwoods. Um, <clears throat> it's on a hillside surrounded by big, tall trees. And as soon as you get to Saratoga and turn up Highway 9, you roll the windows down, and the air, the air smells, feels like medicine. It just talks to your cells. And there's a feeling of all of this green intelligence transferring all your bad city chi, your Silicon Valley miasma is just getting swapped out and, and brushed clean and vacuumed out. And if you get out of the car, it takes about how long does it take to transfer all that those cells? Probably, I suspect, probably half an hour, 30 minutes before you're pretty much cleaned. And if you spend the night and you're there when the sun rises, you have all this green light. You can imagine green and red light coming down around you. And it is a wonderful place to be. Um, those redwoods are garden-like. Um, how about the deer? Yeah, the deer live there. They live there forever, longer than the humans have. It's true. So it's a garden. It's a nice place. Um, I do delight, says the sutra. The bodhisattva is going, I should delight in living there. I really like to be there, says the bodhisattva. In that garden of the ten wholesome karmic paths. Ten good things to do. And, say it again, what are they? It's avoiding the ten evils. The ten unwholesome things. If you avoid the ten unwholesome things, and the sutra doesn't just say, na, na, na. The sutra says, here's how the bodhisattva does it. Here's what he avoids, here's what he does. Here's what she avoids, here's what she does, says the sutra. So I should be there, and I should tell other people to be there too. That's the message of the sutra. Um, Kai reminded me that I haven't told those stories for a while. You probably haven't heard about the deer in, in outside 
cabin on Highway 9. Those of you who have can hear it again, by golly. It's pretty interesting stories. I lived in the, this cabin in the Redwoods for on and off for about two years in a row and got to see the sociology of the deers, the deer clan who lived there. I got to watch three generations of fawns come through and learned to be humble, which is to say uh, the deer, I learned, have trails, and the trails that the deer make go back way beyond human beings. Deer have been around who knows how long, that form, probably since the last volcano or the last meteor changed our climate. Uh, As long as there have been these redwood forests, there have been deer walking through them, and they walk on the same paths, generation after generation. One of those paths, one of those trails, was walked right by our humble hut that had been there for, you know, 20 years or something. In the deer's sphere of life, that's an eye blink. Blink. That's how long our cabin has been there. They've been there forever. And what I saw was, when I say the sociology of the deer, what I mean is deer are very civilized. They're, they relate to each other in ways that are much more humans than humans do, much more humane than humans do. makes much more sense. For example, um, I learned that the, the bucks... The buck deer live high up, above a certain altitude. So you don't see them for about 11 months out of the year. But the bucks come down when it's time to make little deer, when it's time to make fawns. They come down, as they say in French, chercher les femmes, looking for the does. And it's time. And the bucks come down, and the does, the the female deer, live together in small groups, uh, usually two, three, sometimes four. And they're down low, and they walk on these same paths, just day after day, at sunset, the deer go by. You don't see them, you don't hear them, but they go by. I know this because uh, somebody said, if you put out some hen scratch, the deer will come. I said, what's hen scratch? Well, hen scratch is food. It's available at the local pet store in Boulder Creek. And it's corn and millet and these kind of pellets that you feed chickens. Hen scratch. It's chicken food, uh, but the deer love it. And it's crunchy and it's good fiber and stuff. So I bought a couple pounds of hen scratch. And we had a little clearing right outside my window. I would be typing on my dissertation in there, preparing my my dissertation. And I would go out and take a cup of hen scratch and put it on a redwood stump that somebody had provided there, saw it down. And the deer would walk by and then eh, go right for it. The deer have come. 
And we would watch, and we'd go, so, Namo Amitabha, Namo Amitabha, Namo Amitabha. Can you say that? Namo. <laughs> and they would eat the hen scratch, and I got to count them. I got to know them. Oh, there's the doe with the big, the big scar on her side. There's the little one who's always kind of waiting her turn. And there's the, uh, there's the, the, uh, the other one who looks like a twin of the one who's shy. So they would be there, and they got to know him every day, every day. So we timed our evening chanting, so we'd be doing the Amitabha Sutra when the deer came by, you know. Cross them over, yeah. You know. Monks think like that. So, so there they were. And then one day the does were behaving very weird, very strange, like skittish, and their movements were faster. They were looking this left and right. What's going on? And then, stepping into the clearing, was this great big buck. About eight points of antlers, like this, you know. He's like that. And all the does are behaving like cheerleaders at the sophomore dance, you know. <laughs> oh, look, there he is. Yeah, don't look at him. <laughs> and they're just like... Just so silly. You could see that just this courtship stuff was going on thick and heavy. And the buck chases them and they run away and they chase them and they run. Oh, and then two bucks show up and the two of them bang. Oh, just like guys in the locker room bumping chests. Just exactly. You know, it's no different. Oh, man. Courtship rituals in the redwoods. So then about, uh, about, Two months go by, three months, and I notice that I haven't seen one of the does for a while because she's been getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Then she's gone. Don't see her for a while. And I notice because there are two come instead of three. And then one day, oh my goodness, one day in the clearing, I'm looking, and there's three deer again, but there's something else, and it's going sproing, 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 straight up in the air, sproing. It's a fawn. And I tell you, the cuteness factor, off the charts. Baby deer are among the cutest things you'll ever see. The spots, absolutely, they have spots. And they don't walk, they sproing, they go straight up in the air, sproing, like that. And... Apparently, so I went to the Boulder Creek Library and did my research and discovered that fawns have no smell for like the first month of their lives. And the reason why the doe didn't bring them out until one day was those spots allow them to be down on the ground, crouched, and look just like sunlight through the leaves. And they don't smell, and so the bobcats... And the foxes and the wild dogs can't find them. Can't see them, can't smell them. They can walk right on top of them and never notice. Till that day that they're just, you can't keep them unsprung anymore because they have to spring, spring, sprung, like that. Out come the fawns. And amazing. So the, here I am in my garden of Dharma, right? This is an incredible garden watching these deer go through their cycles. And Here's one of the amazing, amazing things that you learn about not human nature, but about 
the nature of life and these relationships. Here are three Doe sisters. As soon as they, I saw them for the first time, they were a group. They were a team. Saw them. And one of them has fawns. She and the buck got together. and they, So she got pregnant. She has the fawns. The other two sister does want to come in close next to the, the young fawns, maybe to, you know, be aunties to them. Oh, not okay. The mom squares off at the one who is getting close to her, lowers her head, and charges like a battering ram. Bang! Right into the side of her sister, the auntie doe, knocks her head over tails, three loops, boom, boom, boom. She hits her so hard just to defend the fawn, right? And the fawn's prying, prying. Keep your distance is what she's saying. Get away from my fawns. And that's the way moms behave if you get too close. And so you go, wow, this is really intense relationship shifting and pecking order establishing. The mom is in charge of the fawn. Okay, what happens next? Watching this whole thing go, the fawns grow up, they lose their spots. They become yearlings, the new group. There were, this time there was one. Then, guess what? Time to give birth to more fawns. And it's a different doe. Okay? And so doe gives birth, she disappears, she disappears, then she gives birth. Here come two fawns. Now, the yearlings from the year before have been with their aunties, and they come in to the clearing. As always, here are two new fawns. Okay, the yearlings want to go up and greet the fawns. Guess what mom does? She puts her head down. She rams the yearlings. They're going, Mom, lighten up. Come on. We're your kids, right? You were in the... Get away from my new one. You're on your own. You're a year old. You are now licensed to drive. You can... You're no longer a minor. Get out of here, right? So it's like forced separation, weaning, getting kicked out of the nest by this like... I'm, I'm just there watching with my eyes bugging out. Incredible social stratification among the deers, right? Getting it all worked out. Who's got the power? So um, around the... So here are the deer, and they're the, they're, the, the res, they're the neighbors. And I realize, when I say humble, I realize how useless... The humans are and how much trouble we bring with our roads. Nothing in the forest goes in a straight line. Our roads, our highways go in a straight line. Highway 9 is deadly for all the other neighbors in the forest. And sure enough, every year, one or two of the deer don't come around because they've been hit by cars. But you also learn the other members of the neighborhood when the deer come through, which is one day the, uh, the young fawns had just made their, their arrival. They'd made their show. They were showing up. And I was 
it was uh, mid-afternoon, which was interesting. It was like 3 o'clock. And I was out on our, our uh, deck, which is elevated up. And I heard the, the local warning system, which is the Blue Jays, in particular California Jays who lived there, and the Crows, who are both kind of at each other. They're not, they barely tolerate each other. But they are the, uh, they're the, the, the Twitter. That, that's interesting. They're, they're, they tweet, right? They let you know in 140 characters what's happening first. They go, and when you hear that, you hear the tweet coming in from the crows, you know there's something going on. And I, I found myself just absolutely listening to all the alerts and the alarms and this was a sound I hadn't heard before from everyone. From the, I'd heard it once before, which was when a hawk, when the hawks came by, the crows and the blue jays would let up, would start to squawk. But this was a brand new sound, and it was like rock, rock, and they all flew up. And I saw something in the corner of my eye, and I looked over, and here was a bobcat, a wildcat. They, by the way, anybody who attended UC Santa Cruz. This is the same clan that walks across the green in Santa Cruz. They go right through the campus because the campus has these big, huge lawns going down to the ocean. And the, these bobcats walk across there because you're on their turf. He came across uh, my yard, and it was an adolescent. It must have been a yearling bobcat. But I saw how tightly coiled muscles can be. He was very limber, and he had these cold, yellow eyes. Fearless. Looked up at me, up on my deck, and I'm looking down in the eyes of this hunting cat. Yellow, cold eyes looking up at me. And his, his muscles were just wound tighter than mine. He was ready to, to climb up there and try me out. I was glad I was a vegetarian. I don't think I taste very... Maybe I taste better as a vegetarian. I, I, I don't know. So, anyway, but I looked at him, and he looks at me, and he's kind of going, mm, uh, you're too skinny. It's not worth my time, you know? <laughs> so, omitofu, omitofu. You know, can you recite the Buddha's name, I hope? So, uh, he was on the trail of the fawns, Clearly. And so I'm thinking, wow, this is the neighbor. These are the neighbors in the neighborhood. How interesting. So that was my garden of dharma. But what dharma? It was speaking the dharma of nature. And uh, what an incredible storybook was being spoken from. What stories I was prior, privy to living in the redwoods and having this big window out in the clearing. And it all happened simply because I was willing to uh, feed the deer. So I got to see them stop and notice all this stuff. So the Bodhisattva, that's all to say, uh, the Bodhisattva says, the ten wholesome paths of karma are a garden. It's just if you can live that way, avoiding killing, stealing lust, lies, gossip, Profanity, dirty jokes, greed, anger, and delusion, you too will feel like wherever you live is a garden.
of dharma. You'll notice things because things won't be happening bad to you. Your lifestyle will be mellow if instead of killing, you bestow life. If instead of stealing, you are generous with stuff. Stealing has to do with material, your relationship with stuff, right? Instead of lust and sexual predation, instead of being pushing yourself on people because of your selfishness, you are true to your promises. You keep your promises to your relationships, right? You don't break your promises. You don't whatever your relationships. Then, with the mouth, you don't gossip, you don't talk good or bad about people. You don't pass on stories about people. Two, you tell the truth. Three, you use your words to heal instead of to curse. And four, you make sure your words carry significance instead of frivolous or or, uh, stories that turn people's minds. Then, instead of greed, you're generous. Instead of angry, you are patient and kind. Instead of delusion, you have absolutely proper principles when you speak, things that can be depended on. So, those are the ten good deeds. When you do those, things go better. Things go better. And you find yourself in charge. Instead of always being kind of behind the eight ball, always kind of feeling like they are in charge, they're doing it again. When you take charge based on ethical guidelines, you can say, even if they're doing it, I'm going to live the way the Buddha showed the Tao, follow the Tao, won't go wrong. Okay, there we go. Uh, Comments, questions? That's a summary of the ten. There will be a quiz in the morning, so make sure you bring two sharpened number two pencils, and we will take the quiz. Um, Okay, moving on. Second paragraph. Shangli 恶道仇灵我应令彼住于正见行真实道 Disciples of the Buddha, the Bodhisattva, Mahasattva further brings forth the thought to benefit all living beings the thought of making them happy the thought of kindness, the thought of compassion the thought of sympathy the thought of gathering them in the thought of protecting them the thought of identity with them the thought of being their teacher the thought of being their great teacher He makes the following reflection, saying, Living beings are pitiful. They fall into wrong views, evil wisdom, evil desires, and the thick forest of the evil destinies. I should teach them to stay in proper views and cultivate the true and actual way. (coughs) 
So, um, in this second paragraph, the speaker is the Bodhisattva Vajra Treasury. He's our speaker, Jin Gang Zhang Pusa. And he says, disciples of the Buddha speaking to the assembly then and now, to us now, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, the Bodhisattva great being. This is not just an ordinary uh, kind-hearted person. It's a, it's a Bodhisattva leader further brings forth the thought and we get ten of them. Ten thoughts. The Bodhisattva is now coming up with ten thoughts that are typical of somebody on the second ground. What are they? And for those who uh, have not heard the Avatamsaka very much, this is a uh, standard thing that happens in the sutra. We get tens, lists of ten. And in this case, it's ten chin hearts, literally. It's the same character as the heart inside. But it doesn't mean the physical organ. And it also doesn't mean the brain. Because this same word is used for mind, chin yi. In this case, it means attitudes, states of mind. And I should say also that the same shin is used for thoughts. So we have this one word used for heart, mind, and thought. Uh, in this case, it means attitudes. They are sipusa mohasa fu yuiche zhongsheng. The gist of it is, it says in Chinese, when he thinks about living beings, yu yiche zhongsheng, regarding living beings, when it comes to living beings, comma, the bodhisattva thinks like this. What does that mean? It means when it comes to people you don't like, when it comes to people who don't like you, when it comes to your in-laws, your neighbors, the, uh, your business competitors, the guy who got better scores than you did on your SATs, the woman who you suspect might be uh, talking bad about you. Those are the very people that are included in living beings. Furthermore, it's the people who are not people, living beings who are wearing fur, fins, feathers, scales, living beings who have many feet, four feet, two feet, no feet, living beings who are not yet born, future living beings, the, the generations to come, including ancestors who've been here before. The Bodhisattva, when he is talking about living beings, is including big scope. Also, what other kinds of living beings? Living beings such as... Um, if this gets esoteric, understand that the Buddha is really opening it wide. Ghosts, 
spirits, beings who live in the heavens. The Buddha's mind includes devas, that would be, we'd call gods, and also uh, a category called asuras, not yet humans, but fighters, like the titans in Greek mythology. The Buddha talks about those. Includes other bodhisattvas. Also includes beings in the hells. Those are living beings. So the bodhisattva, when he thinks about all these different forms that life can take, he has ten states of mind. And the sutra takes us right in there and names those states of mind. And what are they? These are, let's look at the Chinese, li yi, benefit, an le, peace and joy, si, kindness, bei, compassion, lian min, empathy, shu shou, um, ingathering, inclusive, shou hu, protective, ziji, like oneself, in other words, no different than oneself, shi, teacher, da, shi, great teacher. very positive list of ten thoughts the Bodhisattva's got when he thinks about all those beings. There are times when you can read a list like this and then reflect on the state of the world and want to weep. You could just say, if only... How come the Bodhisattva is the only one who has thoughts like this? When everybody else, that the newspaper or your favorite news aggregator website brings into your life, into your living room, talks about people who don't have any of these kind, compassionate, in-gathering thoughts. Makes you really long for these sutras to be more accessible. Either that or makes you want to give up on the human race. Uh, how come, how do we go so far wrong? But that would not be as thought typical of the bodhisattva, would it? To give up. Um, truly, if you think, if, just if, let's not talk about other people, if I could look at other people and think, how do I benefit them? If I could look at other people, even the ones who are so different from me, and say, how do I make that person peaceful and happy? How do I make my mind kind and compassionate, empathetic and inclusive? Who does that mean? Who's it talking about? So this list of ten is so powerful. Protective thoughts, thoughts of treating other people exactly as I would treat myself. Thoughts of being a teacher for them, with all that that means. Kind-hearted, wise and willing to pass on information. Great teacher. This is how the Bodhisattva on the second ground looks at all living beings. For sure, this means without exception. There's no asterisk that says your, your mileage may vary subject to dealer's conditions. Not. This means every living being. 
How can he do that? What's the connection? Well, where have we just been? We've just been in a section where the Buddha was saying, live in the garden of the ten good deeds. The Bodhisattva is thinking, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to tell other people to do it too. I'm going to change my behavior so that I avoid body, mouth, and mind, big big fails, epic mistakes. I'm going to do the opposite of those. When you do that, what happens? Your mind gets soft. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? You get soft in the head. No, that's not what I mean. Your heart gets soft, okay? Your mind gets big and broad, and your heart gets soft. Because you are constantly thinking of doing things that make people soft back. Nobody's afraid of you when you think, when you live in these ways. I had an amazing experience that I can actually um, clock, I can pinpoint the places where it happened, which was Precisely when uh, I was on a pilgrimage, and every night uh, my monk companion and I would open this text and read along a little section, about as much as we covered on Saturday nights, just about the same amount. And we got right here. This was the very place we were. We were in... Uh, Marin County, where it becomes Sonoma, around uh, up near Bodega in that area, Bodega Bay. And I realized that I had changed in my ways of looking at the people who came out to talk to the two monks who were bowing along the highway. For a long time, I had been seeing people who came up as people who could break my silence vow or people who might be throwing rocks or dumping a beer can on top of my head. And those were the first thoughts that I had in many cases. I was looking at them as people who potentially could harm me. And through San Francisco, and then through that passage across the Golden Gate Bridge from Fort Baker up on the road heading to Mount Tam, that was in the rain and the cold of February and March. It was exactly this time, and we bowed in all weather and bowed in the rain a lot. And I went through a period of, of intense uh, diarrhea for 10 days when I couldn't hold food down and I couldn't meditate. And I was about as miserable as one can be in the body because there was no... We'd go to bed at night wet and cold and get up in the morning wet and cold and get out and bow again. <laughs> 
being sick. And I remember going through all kinds of uh, dreams and dreams of dying and, and uh, symbolically going deeper just by the pushing against the environment and having no choice but to get out and bow again. And it was difficult, but it was the best passage. And the sutra was the guide. The sutra just kept saying, yeah, bodhisattva says all you need is just live your life according to these guidelines and you'll be doing fine. If you can, no matter how uncomfortable your body is, if you can stop killing, stealing, lusting, and lying, you're doing fine. You know, in the end, in the long run, this is the deal. This is what keeps you on the Tao, which is what you're looking for. And then it keeps exhorting you to say thoughts of kindness, thoughts of compassion to living beings, thoughts of seeing them as you, you see yourself, no different. So the sutra is just every night encouraging people towards kindness. And after I recovered um, and had somehow purged some, some thing that was going on at that time, I remember... Um, the people who came up to the car and who came up to see us while we were bowing started to look really familiar. Strange. But instead of seeing people who could hurt me or who had could who were not going to benefit me in some way, instead, somebody would walk by and I'd go, look, I've seen them before. Or oh, you look familiar. Of course, I wasn't talking. I was just using my eyes. But more and more and more, the people who came up seemed to be related. There was something I was seeing in them that was family. And hard to describe, but I know that was my first reaction. Out of the corner of my eye, as somebody walked across, it would be, what have I seen? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Didn't know them, but they sure looked familiar. And that continued to be the case, that more and more there seemed to be something identical in the hearts of the people who were coming by. It looked like family. Very interesting. So the, the, the bodhisattva, once he or she lives according to these ten guidelines, has a softening of the heart, an expanding of the heart. A goodness, a kindness happens in the heart. And then something changes in the sutra. Look at the next paragraph. He says, he makes the following reflection. Living beings are pitiful. They fall into wrong views. Now, I'm not going to change evil. I will say uh, unskillful wisdom. Let's say wrong wisdom, wrong desires, and the thick forest of the unwholesome destinies. I should teach them to stay in proper views and xing zhen shi dao, walk the true, real dao. There's the bodhisattva. What happens? The bodhisattva suddenly has one more step into his relationship with living beings, which is, not only is he not looking at him and saying, boy, you look like you could hurt me. He's also, he, now he's looking at him and saying, wow, I see 
an opportunity to be kind to benefit you. And then he takes a look at living beings and he goes, good grief, look at what these living beings are doing. They are hurting themselves. They are making the same mistakes over and over and over. They're really hitting themselves in the head with that hammer that we talked about last week. And they don't know to stop. And they don't know why they're hurting. But in fact, they're hitting themselves in the head with a hammer. They don't even know it. I'm going to tell them how to stop hurting so they can stay with the Tao, which is where they want to be, says the Bodhisattva. So that's a big step. This is the second stage Bodhisattva who is now looking at living beings and saying, you know, if they heard about the ten good deeds, their lives would improve. I'm going to talk about it. So the Bodhisattva at this point has stepped into the role of teacher in a big way. And what is he going to teach? He's going to, stay, he's going to say, stay in the garden. It's much nicer in there than it is out there on the freeway where you keep playing. Don't go walking on the freeway. You're going to die. Come back off the freeway and get back to the garden. You will be glad you did. There's a bodhisattva. Okay? So I'm marking in the text by saying, notice, notice, change here. Bodhisattva's changing. Changing into, he's evolving into a teacher, another role, bodhisattva. <clears throat> and from here, we've got, notice, he further makes the following reflection. He further makes the following reflection. Further makes the following reflection. Further, further, further. We have ten reflections the Bodhisattva makes. And he's going to really, uh, what do you say? He's, he's describing living beings in a very um, critical way. But it's critical based on kindness. He's saying these bodhisattvas, these living beings, he's saying, are really walking across a six-lane freeway. I'm going to tell them, don't walk there, he says. So he's going to do this uh, repeatedly. So the next couple sessions of our sutra lecture are going to be that theme. The bodhisattva has now matured into another stage of his or her awareness and when we read it the mirror that's held up to us is really interesting because when I hear this I think uh oh you know what the Bodhisattva is talking about me (laughs) I'm so much not in the Bodhisattva's position I'm so much in the living being's position that he's describing it's really uncomfortable I can see myself doing exactly what he's saying right falling into wrong views believing that um, somehow, uh, monks shouldn't talk politics. I won't talk politics. That somehow, um, uh, we've we've now entered another war, as of today, 
And I think Japan is going to fall off the news cycle. Because why? Well, what news focuses on has a lot to do with what rich people want us to be aware of. In this case, notice that the United States pays for weapons. We put money into things that can destroy people's bodies. We do not pay for the well-being of those bodies, i.e. health care. But we will sure buy brand new missiles to blow you up thousands of times over and stockpile them. But we won't pay to buy grandma's medicines that she needs. That's what the Bodhisattva is talking about. We have now entered into a war in Libya as of today. And Japan is now fighting for headline space. What has the news been looking at for the last eight days? Japan. Kind of getting tiresome, right? Same old talking heads about spent reactor rods. Who cares about, you know, the isotopes and radiation poisoning when we could look at those weapons that finally we get a chance to use. Man, we paid for those. Let's use them. Blast out one of the other groups of Libyans. Let's see, who's who? Uh, turns out that a lot of the rebels who are supposed to be the good guys now that we're helping are the very extremist jihadis who wound up fighting us in Afghanistan. It's like, wait, 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 wait. I can't keep that all straight. Okay. Anyway, that's what we're talking about. And you look at that and you go, oh, yeah, that's the upside-down living beings that the Bodhisattva is talking about, the ones who don't blink when it comes time to release high-explosive ordnance into human bodies. But we will not pay for somebody else's well-being, even if they're related. Funny. Okay, monks shouldn't pontificate about politics, but gee whiz. So, I think it's important for us to keep focused on the suffering, because that's where we can actually change things, when it hurts worst. And currently in Northern California, we're still blessed with... um, minor weather catastrophes. In the last couple of years, when the East Coast has had Katrina and snowstorms and tornadoes and typhoons, uh, freezing, freezing, freezing cold, the Bay Area is still in this balmy umbrella of Mediterranean climate. So we certainly can take the opportunity of these blessings to give goodness to others. If we don't, we're just being selfish and burning up our blessings. So let's do that. Uh, As I said, we're going to end at 9 tonight, so now would be the time for us to, um, let's say, let's dedicate merit at the end. And I would like to um, share with you a song that came to mind today. This is a wonderful song that doesn't get sung enough. In fact, I've only heard Judy Collins do this song. I don't know if other singers have done it, 
but it's a song that when I heard it, I never forgot it. It really makes the point well. This is one of those anti-war songs or peace songs, um, progressive songs. And when I heard it, Judy Collins sang, change the pronoun. It was mommy, mommy, come and see. I'm going to do it, daddy, daddy, come and see. It's called Come Away, Melinda. And it's a song after an atomic war. We've been focused on atomic power plants in Japan. Fukushima Daiichi, numbers one one through six. And the problem with radioactivity is if you put it in a bomb, suddenly you remember, oh, it's called an atomic bomb. Oh, I heard about those. This is an atomic power plant. Same stuff used peacefully. But if it gets away from you, then what was creating electricity for you now kills you in various ways. So this song is about what happens after you use atomic weapons in a war. Daddy, daddy, come and look and see what I have found a little way away from here while digging in the ground. That's Melinda's voice. And daddy, this would be me, responds and says, come away, Melinda. Come in and close the door. That's nothing but a picture book they had before the war. Daddy, daddy, come and look. Oh, daddy, come and see. There's four or five Melinda girls inside this picture book. Come away, Melinda. Come in and close the door. There were lots of little girls like you before they had the war. Daddy, daddy, come and see. Oh, daddy, hurry, do. There's someone in the village who's all grown up like you. Come away, Melinda. Come in and close the door. That someone is a mother like you had before the war. Daddy, daddy, come and see such things I've never seen. Happy faces all around and all the grass is green. Come away, Melinda. Come in and close the door. That's just the way it used to be before they had the war. Daddy, daddy, come and see and tell me if you can. Why can't it be the way it was before the war began? Come away, Melinda. Come in and close the door. The answer lies in yesterday, before they had the war. So on the day that we enter yet another war in the Middle East, this is a useful song. Daddy, daddy, come and look and see what I have found A little ways away from here while digging in the ground Come away, Melinda, come in and close the door That's nothing but a picture book they had before the war
Daddy, Daddy, come and see. Oh, Daddy, come and look. There's four or five Melinda girls inside this picture book. Come away, Melinda. Come in and close the door. There were lots of little girls like you before they had the war. Daddy, Daddy, come and see. Oh, Daddy, hurry do. There's someone in this village here who looks a lot like you. Come away, Melinda. Come in and close the door. That someone is a mother like you had before the war. Daddy, come and see such things I've never seen. There's happy faces all around, and all the grass is green. Come away, Melinda. Come in and close the door. That's just the way it used to be before they had the war. Come and see and tell me if you can. Why can't it be the way it was before the war began? Come away, Melinda. Come in and close the door. The answer lies in yesterday. Before they had the war. That one's hard to forget, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good song. Okay, that was by Fred Hellerman and Fran Minkoff, two of the New York songwriters in the folk, the folk movement. <clears throat> I wanted to read you a letter. I've been getting some really good mail from Japan. A letter from Sendai, written five days ago. This was originally published in Ode magazine by uh, a woman named uh, Annie, a Westerner who's living in Sendai. Things here in Sendai have been rather surreal, but I'm very blessed to have wonderful friends who are helping me a lot. Since my shack is even more worthy of that name, I'm now staying at a friend's home. We share supplies like water, food, and a kerosene heater. We sleep lined up in one room, eat by candlelight, and share stories. It's warm, 
friendly, and beautiful. During the day, we help each other clean up the mess in our homes. People sit in their cars looking at news on their navigation screens. This is Japan, after all, right? TV in your car. Or they line up to get drinking water when a source comes open. If someone has water running in their home, they put out a sign so people can come fill up their jugs and buckets. It's utterly amazing that where I live, there has been no looting, no pushing in lines. People leave their front door open as it's safer when an earthquake strikes. You can run out faster. People, by the way, there was a 6.59 uh, today in Japan, an aftershock of 5.9. People keep saying, oh, this is how it used to be in the old days when everyone helped each other. Quakes keep coming. Last night they struck about every 15 minutes. Sirens are constant and helicopters pass overhead often. We got water for a few hours in our homes last night, and now it is for half a day. Electricity came on this afternoon. Gas has not yet come on, but all of this goes by area. Some people have these things, others do not. No one has washed for several days. We feel grubby, but there are so much more important concerns than that for us now. I love this peeling away of non-essentials, living fully on the level of instinct, of intuition, of caring, of what is needed for survival, not just of me, but of the entire group. There are strange parallel universes happening. Houses a mess in some places, yet then a house with futon or laundry out drying in the sun. People lining up for water and food, and yet a few people out walking their dogs, all happening at the same time. Other unexpected touches of beauty are, first, the silence at night. No cars. No one out on the streets. And the heavens at night are scattered with stars. I usually see about two, but now the whole sky is filled. This being Japan, right? The mountains of Sendai are solid. With the crisp air, we can see them silhouetted against the sky magnificently. And the Japanese themselves are so wonderful. I come back to my shack to check on it each day, now to send emails since the electricity is on, and I find food and water left in my doorway. I have no idea from whom, but it's there. Old men in green hats go from door to door, checking to see if everyone's okay. People talk to complete strangers, asking if they need help. I see no signs of fear. Resignation, yes, but fear or panic, no. They tell us we can expect aftershocks and even other major quakes for another month or more, and we are getting constant tremors, rolls, shaking, rumbling. I'm blessed in that I live in a part of Sendai that is a bit elevated, a bit more solid than other parts. So, so far this area is better off than others. Last night, my friend's husband came in from the country bringing food and water, blessed again. Somehow at this time, 
I realize from direct experience that there is indeed an enormous cosmic evolutionary step that is occurring all over the world right at this moment. And somehow, as I experience the events happening in Japan, I feel my heart opening very wide. My brother asked me if I felt so small because of all that is happening. I don't. Rather, I feel as part of something happening that is much larger than myself. This wave of birthing worldwide is difficult and yet magnificent. Thank you again for your care and love of me, with love in return to you all. Says Anne. How about that? Not what you'd think, right? Okay. Tomorrow is Guanyin Bodhisattva's anniversary celebration at City of 10,000 Buddhas. It's the first day of a Guanyin Bodhisattva retreat, seven days long. If you've never experienced that at CTTB, you should definitely do it. Um, those, those events are magnificent. Guanyin Bodhisattva is at home at CTTB, and you can really feel it there. We have um, not had a dedicated event for the suffering, to relieve the suffering in Japan, but um, one of our community, uh, Gwyneth Chun, people know, uh, who spends part of her year in Taiwan, but is Master Xuanhua's disciple, is now in Los Angeles, and being connected to Japan emotionally, she wanted to do something um, with DRBA and Tsuji. So what's going to happen, she has offered to play a concert, a benefit concert of classical piano here at the monastery on Sunday, April 3rd. That'll be 2.30 in the afternoon. And right here in the Buddha Hall, we've done it before um, with salon concerts, but this time she wants to... um, let her music be a catalyst for people to bring forth uh, strength and make offerings to, that will go directly to Tsuji. Tsuji is our co-sponsors of our concert. And people know that uh, they call it uh, Buddhist Tsuji Compassionate Relief Foundation. Buddhist Compassion Relief Foundation. We'll take anything that people would care to offer, and there's no charge. It's free of, free of charge, but uh, it's an opportunity for us to directly fund the relief efforts. Suji is good on this side and good on that side. They absolutely deliver every penny to the, uh, directly to the disaster relief. It doesn't, the money doesn't go anywhere else. So um, we together with Suji, would warmly like to invite you to a fundraising piano concert for disaster relief in Japan featuring internationally renowned pianist, Miss Gwyneth Chun. So that's going to be on Sunday, the 3rd, 2.30 p.m. here at the monastery. Let you know about that. We think there probably will be a good response, so we're going to try to get closed circuit into the dining room. 
as we'll, I think this room will fill up in the balcony and uh, we'll probably have people in the dining room as well watching and listening on a closed circuit. So there will be a reception following. So those of you who have been to one of uh, Chen Yuxiang's piano concerts in the past know what an incredible experience it is. Um, she is one of a very few select pianists in the world who have played all around the world. She was um, chosen by the government of Taiwan to go to China to represent Taiwan at the Olympics. She's their Olympic pianist. And uh, usually when you see someone like that perform, they're down there in a spotlight on the stage, and you've got your ticket, and you're pretty far back, or you're in the wings over here somewhere, and she's back, and you applaud, and she comes out, and you hear the music over amplification. When it's a concert here at the Berkeley Monastery, you might be 10 feet away. It's a different experience. Um, the program will be Chopin and Liszt, mostly. Uh, nocturnes and etudes. So just to let you know, that's coming up. Um, otherwise, I think that's pretty much it for our announcements. Our schedule is going full strength. Marty lectures on Friday night. Uh, Stephen Tainer's class on Wednesdays. The uh, Taiji class in the morning, Putong is teaching, and uh, uh, we have Qigong on Monday nights, and we have uh, Spirit Rock on Thursdays. So please do uh, come and uh, let people know, take part in all that we're doing. The berkeleymonastery.org website is up and running. Now, by the way, we've got some... That's a good way to find out what's happening is through the berkeleymonastery.org website. Okay, we're going to dedicate merit and maybe see you up in Ukiah. It's supposed to be a serious winter storm coming in. So if you're driving, leave plenty of time and don't push, don't push the edges.
Because our hearts are one This world of pain turns into paradise May all become compassionate and one May all become compassionate I did forget to mention that tomorrow there will be a head shaving at CTTB. Four people will be uh, leaving home. And further, um, there will be a refuge ceremony. So there's a chance to take refuge should you choose to. And I managed to secure an interview with two individuals who would like to share something with you. Hi there. Hello. Hi. Um, what did you want to say? I, well, I wanted to say to you that, uh, you know, uh, back when there was a drought, you know, and you Buddhists uh, prayed to the dragons for rain, well, it worked, right? We take full responsibility, and uh, as soon as you want to tell us when to stop, we'll stop. It's just what he said. Yeah, we're making it rain, so, uh, you know, if you wanted to stop, just let us know. We'd be happy to do something about it. That's right. So uh, anybody there had enough rain? Yes? You better tell us or else it's going to keep raining right down on your heads, right? So uh, we sea serpents, we dragons, we, we're in charge of the things. And uh, yeah, actually, you could stop any time. You mind? Oh, uh, just, you know, it's every now and then. It's good to get some rain. Right, enough's enough. We can stop any time. All right, just for you. But it's about time for the rain to stop then. You all agree? Yes? Enough? Enough rain? Or do you care? If you don't care, we'll just keep it raining, you know. What do you say? What do you say? Anybody want it to stop raining? What do you think? Stop? I heard him say stop. That's right. All right. Okay. Since you said stop, we'll, uh, we'll put that... Uh, We'll send that directive down the pipes and through the bureaucracy, and pretty soon it'll stop raining on y'all. So uh, just wanted to check in. Thanks a lot. You, you Buddhists keep them ceremonies working, and, uh, you know, it just the dragons are there listening for your directions. We are very democratic, very populist. We aren't dictators at all. We're very, very generous with our rain, and we can make it stop. Okay, so, you know, be good. Follow those ten good deeds. And uh, things work out very well, heaven and earth and humanity. Usually when you screw up, it's you guys. You know, heaven and earth, we do our part, but uh, we got to all work together. Just what he said. Just what he said. Yep, agreed. Okay, so we'll make it stop raining. Promise? Promise. That's how the bureaucracy works, you know. All right. Good night. Good night. Make it through tomorrow's storm, and we'll see what we can do. Goodbye. Good night. You heard it from them. Dragons make it rain, and they can make it stop. What can you do about earthquakes? Shi dao zi jin, fei dao zi tui, zai shan er cong, pu shan er gai.